Transition partners take mental health very seriously. We are now supporting Claro Mental Health Charity, who are local and based in Harrogate. We are working closely with Richard Kenny, who is the IT director at Tech Buyer. Claro operates as a commercial workshop making goods for businesses, which enable those with long-term mental health conditions to function in a voluntary real work environment. We would love it if you can join us in supporting this amazing cause and charity and donate what you can. Any any amount will be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much and thanks to all our listeners. Hi, this is the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greening. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So today we are very excited to have Chad Jennings on the show. So Chad is the VP of Product and Design at Amboss over in Berlin. Chad spent the last 20 years working in product management, design, content and research for multiple startups and tech companies in Chicago, San Fran, London and now Berlin. So we're really excited to hear all about his journey today. He co-founded his own successful startup, Blurb, which he scaled globally and has led many other successful teams for startups within digital health and ed tech space. He's currently VP Product at Amboss, a startup empowering all doctors to provide the best possible care, which is going to be really interesting. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Hello, Chad. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I know. I was checking you out. I was doing a bit of stalking on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm certainly interested to uh, delve behind the profile and find out a little bit more about you today. Great. Definitely. Um, fantastic. So um, I'd do um, to start these off with um, finding out a bit more about you, kind of just setting the scene and um, giving the, the viewers and the listeners, listeners a little bit more context. So if you could expand and elaborate a little bit more on Ellie's introduction just tell sure. the guys how you kind of I guess how you got into tech how it sure. all started and then just a little bit of an overview of the journey and the path sure. that you've, you've gone on to get to where you are today yeah yeah happy to I mean and in some ways it goes back almost 20 years because I am old um, but <laughs> but I, I found a um, I found a grad program back in the late 90s in Chicago at the Illinois Institute okay. of Technology Institute design that basically now would be called user experience design. At the time, it was interaction design and HCI, and it brought together these passions. It was like one of those things, hey, I didn't even know that this world or this profession existed, right? It brought mm-hmm. together technology. I'd kind of grown up a little bit in computer science. It brought together psychology around user research, right? And then also design and business together into this um, degree. And the school was actually started as the, um, the new Bauhaus in the U.S. many years ago when, when a lot of the Germans had to move over there. And it gave this really foundational mix of how do you approach technology through a user-centered approach, right? If you're going to design something for nurses, well, you better get out and sit with nurses, observe nurses, and do mm-hmm. that. So that was really the, the point that said, wow, I found something that was perfect for what I wanted to do. I then was lucky enough to move out to the 
Bay Area in late 99. So that was, there was still a lot of parties going on <laughs> right before the, <laughs> right before the bust, um, the bust and was there through that. But um, I started out in an agency actually at a place called Method and then Smart Design. So these would be um, kind of design interaction agencies and branding agencies. And it was a great place to start out because mm-hmm. what's, what's amazing in agencies is you get to try many different things, right? You're, you have a new problem space coming every couple of weeks, um, especially yeah. in the early days of the internet, you got to try lots of things from, from uh, travel to, uh, you know, early, early mobile phones to big companies like Autodesk and Adobe um, to things like Samsung interactive televisions. And so I did that for a couple of years. And it was a really great way just to learn about problems as well as for me, what was really helpful is when you're dealing with clients, it really forces you to work on your soft skills and kind of stakeholder mm-hmm. management skills and these things. Um, and I tell lots of people when they're starting out to potentially spend a couple of years in agencies to do that. Um, I then had the great opportunity to co-found my own company called Blurb, um, as you mentioned. So this is 2005. It's a, um, a self-publishing company, so a mix of print as well as digital um, during mm-hmm. the Web 2.0 kind of taking off. Um, I'd, I'd had a, a client, Eileen, who was the CEO they'd worked with, and that was really what started that. Um, and that was an amazing journey, right? You go from like four people, um, a PowerPoint deck, <laughs> you know, we started with a, with a million dollars to build a company that over the course of seven or eight years became, you know, only about 140 employees, I think, but then around 70 million in revenue, um, a kind of global company. And that's really where I just cut my teeth on uh, everything you needed to do to really lead product and design and content and, and really hands-on. So it was a great uh, learning experience. How did that How did that come about then? Um, so you said you started that with yeah. a CEO that were you working with yeah. a client at the yeah. time? Yeah, so, so, so Eileen was a client that I'd worked with. Um, and actually, my friend Brian was a designer as well. And, and we'd, after hours, she had some ideas around, hey, you know, self-publishing. Um, how do we help people tell their stories? And so again, mm-hmm. we'd brainstorm after hours. And, and you know, thankfully, she'd, she'd had a couple startups before. You know, I was just kind of a you know, a snot-nosed young designer at that point still. <laughs> um, um, but so we started with herself that kind of had the capital and the connections and the, the business leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. A guy named Dan Crow, who was CTO, who, um, who um, had a background at Apple and Google and different places. Myself and Brian kind of more, I was on the pixel side, he was on the print side. Um, and I think we just kind of got lucky a little bit because um, kind of right place, right time, um, a really a place where we made it really easy for people to create books and beautiful books um, and, and set up kind of a two-sided marketplace. And so um, the web 2.0 was taking off at that point um, and helped us really grow the company. Fantastic. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm sure it was a lot of hard work as well. You made it sound quite easy then. Yeah, no, it was lots of of long hours. But actually that gets into the kind of the third transition a little bit. You know, I, at one point my, uh, you know, uh, someone reminded me I had a, you know, beautiful wife and young daughter at home that I wasn't seeing much (laughs) and, uh, and decided, hey, it was great, but I wanted to take some time off and um, had a friendly leaving. But we decided at that point, like, hey, we always want to live abroad. Um, uh, Perhaps the, you know, work, work, work all hours, all days, kind of uh, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley lifestyle wasn't quite for us. Um, and that's when we moved to, to London, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I joined uh, EF Education first. It was kind of more we wanted to move. So we started looking around at, at tech companies and then found one and, and moved there with my, uh, my wife and daughter. Um, and oh, then uh, was in online education for a couple of years. And that was really my phase of international work. I hadn't worked that in much internationally. And my team was actually mostly in Shanghai. It's a language learning company. So a lot of our, our, our big markets were, you know, China and Brazil and 
um, uh, Russia. Um, so great experience there. But that was like a 40,000 person company. And that was a big change after a startup. So a good learning a little bit of what, uh, what that enables, you know, from a resources mm -hmm. point of view. But also, I learned I really wanted to get back to smaller places where I'm a bit more of a generalist. difference in yeah, cultures as that. well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. And that taught me, ed tech was amazing. It taught me to make impact. And eventually, that's how I kind of moved into this phase I am now, which is really focusing on um, kind of scale up size companies. So companies after they usually get their B series where they're trying to move from kind of a hundred people to a couple hundred people. Um, and I really focus on health technology mm -hmm. um, because I really feel like it's amazing to come in every day and feel like I'm making a, a positive impact on the world. Cool. Amazing. So tell us a little bit more about um, Amboss then. Yeah. So you moved to, um, so did you move to Berlin for this, that particular No, actually, so, so, so we moved to Berlin about a year ago. Um, initially, it was like we'd had about seven years in, in the UK, and, and we decided at some point when we wanted to move to the, the mainland, my daughter was kind of in between schools, and with Brexit going on, it felt like maybe a good time to move, um, okay. and joined Heartbeat Labs, which is a, as an interim CPO, which is kind of an incubator. Um, so there, it's really about starting new health technology companies, um, which yeah, was really cool. fun. But then Ambos came along, and it was this perfect mix of um, education, ed tech, and health tech, and I couldn't pass that by. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a really amazing company. It's about, it started in 2012 um, mm -hmm. as really an, uh, by a couple doctors um, who were just at a med medical school, really in mm -hmm. building a knowledge base for them to help them with online learning for um, uh, test preparation for med school. Um, you know, in med school, you have to go through a series of exams. It's quite uh, stressful, and you spend hours and hours on mm -hmm. this. Um, and they were really successful in building this kind of a mix of a Wikipedia, a curated Wikipedia for doctors, as well as the question banks alongside that, um, and quickly grew a successful business. So I think it's like we have like 95% market share in Germany in just a couple of years, uh, launched yeah. in the US um, uh, maybe three years ago. And now we're in the midst of transitioning from not only students, uh, medicine, but also service, servicing clinical practice and decision making, right? So if I'm a doctor and I have a question about a drug or a question about a treatment, mm -hmm. instead of pulling up Google, I actually pull up Ambos. Um, and do a search. And so we have many uh, um, 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 uh, contracts with hospitals and, um, and doctors who use this every day to kind of search up reference information and help them with clinical decision making. Wow. Fantastic. Interesting. Um, so with um, so your role at um, AMBOTS, I think it'd be quite interesting to um, tell the listeners a bit more about your kind of like your leadership responsibilities sure. and yeah. how and I guess just going back to the journey um that, yeah. that you've been on I guess you, you know when you um had the the setup the startup it was kind of something that you fell mm -hmm. into but I'm sure along along that journey you've probably learned from um a number of challenges and um, but it'd be really good to share some specific sure experiences around leadership and challenges yeah. that you've come across along the way that might be able to help others? Sure. So product, so I basically I lead, here at Ambos, I lead product and design and product analytics. So it's really myself and partner with our CTO, right, who runs the mm -hmm. technology side, the software engineering side, the data side, right, to really build our products, right? Yeah. Um, and so in doing that, and also design is underneath that too. So product is really a, um, it's, it's a, it's a, great opportunity and also a challenging role because it's a really loud, noisy discipline, meaning you really are at the center of all these requests coming in from customer support, from the market leads, from the CEO, from engineers. And how do you help really compromise, right? To say, look, we, we know what the user wants. We know what the business wants. Who knows what's feasible? And really the job is not rocket science. It's really helping facilitating decision-making, right? So I think mm -hmm. one, that's really my goal is say, what's the decision we need to make um, and how much risk 
uh, do we need to, to mitigate from a, is it valuable, is it usable, is it feels feasible? And I actually think my background, a little bit my background in UX helps for that, right? And dealing with clients, because a lot of what I need to do is get mm -hmm. in a room and facilitate discussions, right? Mm -hmm. Facilitate and really force, force prioritization schemes, right? Okay, we have 10 things we want to do. If there's only one thing we could do right now, what would it be? right? If there's only two things we could do right now, what would it be? How does it relate to our longer term goals? And even how does it relate to our short term needs to just maybe make some revenue in the next quarter? Mm -hmm. So a lot of what my job is, frankly, is trying to help people make decisions so we can move forward um, and try to figure out when do we need to do more research and when do we need to say, okay, we know as much as we can know at this point uh, and to move forward. So that's one key piece. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing is I've also been at a couple of startups like this or areas where it's really about um, this, how do we scale up, right? So we've got, for example, product market fit, um, and really the founders are, try, are, are potentially giving up some of that product ownership they love so much. <laughs> so a lot of what I need to do is sit down with usually the founders and the CEOs and help me understand, you know, what keeps them awake at night, um, what's a burning imperative, right, that maybe wouldn't get done if I wasn't here. Um, and when you first join, really say, okay, um, I'm here to also help the executive team make decisions too, not just the product organization. Mm -hmm. um, so those are a couple, and that continues to be a really big challenge, especially in joining um, new companies. Um, and the final thing I do a lot with now that, that is, okay, we want to scale. Um, for example, at Ambos, we could, we could easily from a, our funding you know, have five or six more cross-discipline teams to build things, right? Yeah. But, but we can't just do that, right? Because we'd kind of fall over. So what, what do we need to put in place? It's not only processes, but sometimes it's who do we need to hire? What's the leadership mm -hmm. level we need? It's a bit of organizational design to say, mm -hmm. how do yeah. we get a couple teams working really well? And then how do we put the processes in place to, okay, now let's build a whole new team, right? Because that actually means hiring potentially six to 10 new people, including engineers, designers, um, you know, QA, product managers to build that out. Um, so a lot of what I do is also work on organizational design at the same time. So I want to dig a little deeper on your leadership experience. Sure. It sounds like you really learn a lot from your time building Blurb and scaling out Blurb itself and, and got a lot of um, leadership experience from, did you say it was Elaine? Who yeah, was yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to um, find out a little bit more about that leadership journey sure. and your leadership style, how that's adapted over the years, your biggest learnings and, and how your team would describe you today. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, you know, initially my leadership style, especially coming from design, it tends to be one where you um, take a step back and look at the overall picture. Right. And I think especially if you think about there's a, there's a practice called service design, which is, hey, OK, how do we take different target groups? So for us, it's physicians and students that have different needs. And how do they map this end to end service experience? Right. So for Blurb, we had a um, you know, we had a, we had apps you would download and make books. We had a, a marketplace you would sell them in. We also had physical delivery. We also had manufacturing. Right. And yeah. so one of my leadership approaches to really say, OK, let's visualize this end-to-end -end journey and how that impacts the user and then how that ties back to the business KPIs, right? So conversion rate, uh, retention rate, and mm -hmm. these type of things. Um, and so the leadership style there is one, it's very user-centered, right? Let, let's make sure we're talking about who our customers are and what their needs are. Um, and I always tend to ask really big questions about, okay, who are our non-customers, right? Because there's far more non-customers out there than customers, right? And what do they need and how do we understand them? And that's where growth comes from. So part of my role in most leadership teams is to really be the representative of the end customer. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a CFO that represents finance and the CEO has to do mm -hmm. these things, that's my job is I sit in there and try to be the person that brings empathy into the room. 
Um, the second thing I learned, you know, is, a, is um, that highly collaborative style that you need when you're a consultant only goes too far when you're a leader and you have to really make decisions, right? Um, and that was, that was sometimes a hard decision for me, a hard journey for me to say, okay, look, we aren't going to know everything, right? We can't know everything. We need to make a decision. And a decision today instead of three weeks from now really can make a difference when you're in a startup, right? So um, you kind of have to accept that one you're always going to have questions. There's always going to be risks. Um, but if you can approach it in an iterative learning fashion, okay, what can we test to help validate what we have? What can we test next? And that's not only in product, it's also with marketing. It's also with advertising. And, and now this experimental approach is pretty quite common, but that was a big learning for me um, at Blurb. Um, the, it sounds like you take a really holistic approach to leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing is, um, 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 for me, I guess there's a difference between leadership and having to do with how we lead the business, right? And leadership with how I manage a team, right? Yeah. And those are two different things. So in general, and how I think about the business, for me, purpose is important, right? Um, integrity, you know, I've got kind of giving from the States, I've got this kind of Midwestern humility, I think, which is important mm -hmm. to say, look, it's not really about me, it's about what we're doing. Um, facilitation skills, um, I think are key in this leadership role and kind of being that coach, that coach leader that sets high expectations, but kind of helps you get there. Mm, love that. Um, you've worked in some of the most competitive tech markets in the world and you've hired and scaled up teams. So I think a lot of people would be interested to find out a little bit more about that, how you've hired the right talent and how you've retained them um, in, in some super competitive markets. Yeah, so a, a really, a really interesting example and mm. an amazing experience for me is, um, um, so I joined, when I joined Babylon Health, so Babylon Health is a telemedicine yeah. um, and AI kind of chatbot company in London. We were around 400 people, I think, and over the course of the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, we grew to around 1,300 people. Um, you know, I, my team grew from about seven to 70 uh, during that time period. So it was a lot of like uber hyper growth hiring, um, which was <laughs> really, really stressful. But um, it, it, it taught me a couple of things. And I had, I learned this from a, a president at EF Education at first, actually, Andrew, who said a couple of things. He said, one, um, you want to hire the person you need a year from now right? Mm -hmm. in, a, in a growing company, right? Because so if, if you, you know, if you're not ready for a director, you probably will be in a year now. So hire that person now, right? So for example, hiring a director UX, hiring a director of product and setting that that's down high, especially given we were well-funded so we could do that. So that was one thing. Um, second is when you hire people, you also hire their network, um, which, yeah. which is over and over again, such a big thing. Like if you're hiring that many people, I know, for example, you know, my friend Jane Austen, who has been my director and VP of UX at a couple places, she's an amazing speaker, has an amazing network, and I can hire her. And within, you know, two or three weeks, she has a set of, 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 of other designers and other researchers she can bring on board that passion. So those two things really help um, scale um, and retain, I think, scale and get talent. For retaining talent, I mean, in some ways, I think it's, it comes back to, you know, Daniel Pink has the, the, his book about drive that talks about, um, I think, purpose, um, autonomy, and mastery, right? So meaning, hey, do people come in and day and have, really have a sense of purpose? Um, one, that's actually quite easy at health tech companies, right? Yeah. Like, we know we come in, we are helping doctors make decisions that will save lives. So that's easier. And maybe it's sometimes harder when you're at maybe a fintech company or something like that, where you have to transfer mm -hmm. that. So that's one. Um, so that's, I, I have found as I move to health tech that it makes recruiting a lot easier, right? Mm -hmm. People are also really- over the past like six to 12 months, it's made yeah. a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot more conscious. Um, 
Yeah. Aut autonomy then is a little bit of, hey, I trust you to be an adult and I'm going to lay mm -hmm. out some KPIs for you and, and kind of set some uh, high expectations, um, but also uh, be with you there to get there. Right. And so because yeah. people want to be challenged. And the final one is mastery. So ultimately, especially product managers and designers, they always want to be learning. Right. They tend mm -hmm. to have a very growth mindset. So how are you feeding that? Right. Both mm -hmm. giving them opportunities to challenge new problems as well as, you know, through training and development to kind of get there. And usually when those things, three, three things fall into place, um, you know, as long as someone's not a, you know, frankly, not an asshole, um, they, uh, they uh, stick around pretty well. Fantastic. Um, I've, um, one of my questions actually I was going to ask a little bit further on, but I'm going to ask it now because you mentioned um, about the Daniel Pink book around the, how, the drive and the people. Um, which um, I've just written that down actually because I might look into that I'm just I'm starting to um, I've had a bit of time off reading and theory and I'm starting to um, start reading some leadership books again yeah. um, but um, are there any other um, courses conferences events online material or books that you would sure. recommend um, from a leadership point of view, right. from coaching, but also maybe startup scale-ups that others, our listeners, might be interested in? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let me think about that. Um, I mean, it's a little less about – a lot of the books I read tend to be a little bit about how we approach decision-making and things like that. So, for example, there's a book called um, The Art of Thinking Clearly by – gosh – Rolf Dobley, I think that's right. But basically, it's these 99 chapters on different cognitive biases that, and, that everyone has. And from a product and design point of view, knowing about things like this um, really help us understand how, how do our biases, um, you know, not only inform how we make decisions, but how our product is things. So that's a key thing. You know, for example, um, they talk about survivorship bias there that says, hey, uh, we tend to focus on, on what's in front of us, right? And the people who make it through some aspects. So in digital technologies, we actually recognize, hey, only about 3% of people that come actually convert, but all of our, our usually spend all of our time focusing on this 3%, not the 97% that didn't come in, right? Because we have mm -hmm. survivorship bias. Um, another one from a leadership point of view, especially if you're getting into um, organizational design, there's a book by Peter Meerholtz called The Design of Design Organizations. And even though it's focused on design orgs specifically, I think it has lots of learnings about um, different ways to grow and scale um, cross-discipline teams, whether it's in marketing or engineering, right? And the different phases uh, people go through, especially in what's unique in kind of product development is you, you're really made up of a lot of cross-discipline teams, right? You have to lead a team that includes um, uh, five or six different functions <laughs> across different chapters and how do you get people to come together around that? Um, and the final one would be the one that had the biggest impact on me um, that again is I think for anyone that's in uh, digital technologies by Marty Kagan, uh, it's called Inspired. Um, uh, building products. And it's originally in 2008. So it was the one when, when I was a blurb trying to figure out, okay, how the heck do I do this? <laughs> right? Um, how do we grow a company? How do we how did I get to this point where we have 130 people? Um, and it really put some systems and definitions of kind of what modern agile uh, product teams are made of. And that's the one when I, when I talk to CEOs that are trying to build out a product function, that's the one I send over to them, right? Or, hey, how do we, what are the different roles, product, what's the difference between product marketing and marketing? What's the difference between product and engineering? Um, those are a couple I look at more than anything else. Fantastic. Brilliant. Some really great material there by the sounds of it. Um, so um, the other thing I wanted to ask, actually, that hasn't, I wasn't sure if it would um, come up whilst we talked about your journey and um, mm -hmm. your experiences, but I noticed that 
you also do some voluntary um work don't you and um mentorship um so you i'm not sure if it's something that you've set up or you're part of the network um but mentoring um young women to get into yeah. tech it'd be really interesting to find out a bit more about that how that works and how you've helped the the wider um tech community because i think that's really interesting uh sure well uh, yeah and i must say I, there's never enough time to do it formally as i say in startups yeah. but yeah in london so i was part of a group called ambitious ladies in tech um you know and they're basically the goal is it was run by um a vc firm there octopus i believe um and um there was basically you get partnered with a, um, a woman entrepreneur, right, or a designer you need to work with them for a year, um, kind of on a monthly basis, um, to basically be a sounding board a bit to help guide them and give them connections um, within the industry. Um, so I've done that for a bit um, in London before moving to Berlin. Um, and in Ambos is actually uh, associated with uh, women who code here uh, in Berlin as well. Um, and it does get it, I think. And, and over the years, what I've tended to do is hopefully provide some uh, mentorship where possible and coaching where it's even if it's just getting on the on the phone or, or a video call, you know, once a mm -hmm. month with someone to talk about especially how they can um, move into leadership positions, right? Some of the challenges maybe they're having, um, what's the right course of path, um, as well as in some ways, like how, uh, what it means to a little bit have a family and, and do that at the same time. Um, and I think it, diversity is really a big challenge, right? And it's, a, it's one of the challenges we're dealing with here. And I'm sure you deal with a lot, especially in recruiting. Um, and um, I find that just building out that network is really the best way to do it. So for example, um, you know, we're hiring for head of growth right now. And actually as we, and, and new to Berlin, so I don't have much as much of a network here, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, what we were seeing was about 80% of the applicants for this head of product were, uh, were men. Um, and so really underrepresented. And so it was interesting because our internal recruiter, she reached basically found, you know, 15 or 20 people, uh, women leaders in Berlin and women diversity in Berlin. And then I would just go in and reach out to them directly, right? And say, look, you know, it looks like you've a really interesting background. I don't mm -hmm. know if you're open to opportunities. Um, but out of that, within just a couple of days, we, you know, basically had five or six people that were at least starting conversations with. Um, and for me, there's two goals. One, hey, if they're, um, some of them become interested in the role, but other them become people where we go get coffee and lunch and it helps me um, hopefully build that network yeah. and help support that a bit. Because I think, you know, diversity is really challenging technology. And I think I'm now in a role now, you know, that I can help change that, <laughs> uh, you know, even as an, as an old white guy. Um, but hopefully that's how I help is through mentorship and coaching and giving people um, opportunities. Yeah, that's so awesome. I mean, the, the tech community in Berlin is very accepting and, yeah. and open anyway, even as someone new, more recent people that have yeah. relocated to Berlin. I've never been anywhere where everyone is so friendly and welcoming mm. and inclusive, which is super important. But I'd love to find out a little bit more about your experience within San Fran, London, yeah. Berlin, the cultures and, and, and the differences that you found with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, again, the um, I was really you don't really know how lucky you are to kind of be in the Bay Area. And when I was there, right, I think one, you know, even, even I think in my own career in user experience design, right, like back in 99, it was really at the forefront of that, right? So I was involved in helping that develop and have lots of friends through that. Similar in product management, right? Like even at that time, you know, 15 years ago, product management was a, was a discipline that had been around for a while. It was still finding its footing, yeah. um, but, yeah. but uh, lots of experience in working in that, right? Um, and I do think that, you know, there's just, you have so many intelligent people in one place, so much money in one place, that there's lots of opportunities there to um, do amazing things. And the Bay Area is just an amazing place to live. Um, and we did that for about 13 years. But I will I will say, in general, you know, and part of the reason it'd be hard to move back now is that um, I do feel like 
in many instances, kind of a, the like work, 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 work culture of the Bay Area can be challenging for people's mental health. Um, well, so of hours were you doing? Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, I mean, long, long hours, weekends, hours. I mean, when you're in a startup, you're really into it, right? But I also felt it could yeah. be really uh, negative for mental health, negative on my relationships, mm-hmm. you know, with my wife and not seeing my daughter so much. And so um, that, that also... America is long hours anyway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, you don't, the other challenge is you don't get as much, um, you don't get as much holiday, right? And I think what happens is... Yeah then people take long weekends, right? People don't take two weeks off or three weeks off. And for me personally, when I get two weeks off, um, I reset and I come up with some of my best ideas. And when I come back into work, I'm recharged and invigorated. And that was the reason I moved. Yeah, when you're working that many hours as well, like it can quite often take you a few days to a week before you actually switch off. And then you need another few days or a week to enjoy that time, don't you, before you get yourself back into it all. But it also taught me a good learning, which I've kept now. And I think maybe, gosh, I think Marissa Meyer, Mayer, who was you know, CEO of Yahoo and Google said this. And at one point she talked mm-hmm. about, she would sit down and ask someone what was, what was most important to them, right? And what is it, whatever was most important for them, it made sure they had to make time for it, right? So whether that was playing games with friends, and for me, it was being at home in time to basically help cook and, you know, have dinner with my daughter, especially when they're young, right? Because I go to sleep. And so yeah. I've, when, whenever, whenever I have a job, even coming here, I'm like, look, I'm, you know, if it's 5.30, I'll, I'll be up early and working. And if it's 5.30, I'm going to go home, going to help out. And then maybe I'll get back online, you know, afterwards. Um, but that's the most mm-hmm. important thing for me. And I've kind of stood by that. And what's great is every place I work has been quite flexible with that um, and kind of understanding. And I also that that goes into my leadership role where it talks about, hey, if, if you see what I'm doing, trying to balance balance this, it works well. Um, from You talked about London uh, and Berlin. Mm-hmm. I think I think London is just, you know, it's, it's such a um, uh, uh, energetic, <laughs> amazing place um, uh, to get involved with. And for me, it was a very, there was a very international community there, even more so than the Bay Area, right? Bay Area is a bit of a bubble. Um, there where it's like, look, we're designing for multiple languages, right? Um, you've, you can take a train for whatever hours and be in France and it's different language, different <laughs> ways of doing things, right? So I think everyone in Europe has a general sense of forced empathy um, because you're always thrown in situations where you, there's different cultures to deal with. How do you talk to people? How do you engage with people that I don't think you get in the U.S.? And it could be also challenging, but quite invigorating. So that was really um, um, something that was unique to me, as well as, as well as having to work with people from different backgrounds, right? Different ways of working, different religions, um, different uh, um, um, approaches to how they communicate challenge. Um, and finally, now they moved to Berlin, um, I mean, partially it's just, I think the London's amazing place. Berlin has a bit more, uh, the lifestyle here is quite good in that it's, it's still, you know, the uh, 3 million people largest city in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in Europe. Um, but, um, you know, I can ride my bike to work. My daughter can walk to school. Um, and I do think to your point, it's a very engaging and open community um, mm-hmm. because, and also because people are kind of um, um, in the same area and looking out for each other. So here it's been much more easier to grab coffee and join meetups and things like mm-hmm. that. People are really open for exchange. Um, London, there's so much going on, right? And, and it's so hard to get between Chelsea and different places. It, it clamps down on it a bit. Um, and the one, the one final thing I want to say, because I think you had mentioned um, people talked about traveling and moving around. Um, and I think um, 
when we did that in 2012, you know, my daughter was five and it's easier. I just have, you know, some people have larger families, but oh gosh, how is she going to deal with this? What about education? What about the move? And in our head, it was this big thing, but it was far easier than I ever thought it would be. Um, you know, um, um, it was much harder. And my, my wife and I, just from the logistics of getting credit cards and banks and things set up versus my daughter that, you know, got into different schools and made new friends. And, and now that I moved to Berlin, the same thing, right? I think um, people should probably be much more open to moving around and, and exploring things um, than maybe they are, um, especially as you get a family and, and a house and, and later in life, it uh, maybe seems like it's harder, but it's um, quite good. There's so many exciting opportunities out there, isn't there? What about, um, what do you think the future of tech is? Wow. <laughs> well, that's a, that's <laughs> a big question. question. Um, um, gosh, where to or start? Or like one thing that you're really interested in at the moment. That you yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a couple of things that, that really interest me. <laughs> I mean, so there's a couple, I mean, so in, in, in health technology specifically, and I think you've had someone uh, in health tech on the podcast before. So yeah, yeah. things like telemedicine, I mean, so I think, you know, COVID has tons yeah. of trouble, has tons of challenges, but it kind of shakes up the snow globe a bit, right? And resets mm -hmm. how we do things, right? So, um, so for med medicine, there's two things. So telemedicine, meaning, you know, my daughter, the fact my daughter, in her, when she grows up, the thinking she'll go sit in some waiting room or in a hospital around other six people for hours at a time versus calling up a doctor on her phone for 10 minutes, um, it'll be just the new norm, right? So that's amazing. As well as the fact that, you know, as we're all wearing things like or rings and Fitbits, right? And collecting mm -hmm. all this data, right? Um, right now, doctors don't know what to do with it, right? It's just almost overwhelming, right? So the fact that I can walk into my doctor and say, look, I actually have all my sleep data, all my heart rate data, now all my blood oxygen data for the past year, um, in theory, that should transform how we think about preventative health, how we think about um, um, healthcare and pieces like this. It'll take a long time, I think, for the governments and the, um, the healthcare systems to kind of catch up. But that will really be transformative um, and is really um, exciting to me. Um, and finally, of course, and this gets at the whole thing of like if we had a hardware product and now we're in software product and now we're figuring out how data works, that is where, of course, things like um, data engineering and machine learning and AI plays a big difference because I'm making so much data myself every day that individual people can't um, deal with it, right? So we need the machines to help us really make meaning yeah. out of that. And, not re and for, our, for, for our purposes, it's not about replacing doctors at all. It's about barely assisting them and augmenting them mm -hmm. with the tools they need. So that's what really, what's really exciting for me when it comes to health tech technology. That's great. And it's such a crucial time. It's, it, it's fantastic to know that, that, that the product's really helping and what you're working on a day-to-day -day basis is really making a difference. Yeah. So that's fantastic. It, it's been a pleasure um, having you on the podcast. We usually finish with one last question. Sure. And that's like, what have you got on the agenda? What's the next big plan for the next six months for you, 12 months? And what are you excited and bounding out of bed, getting on your bike and cycling to work? <laughs> it can okay. either be professional or personal. What? A professional or personal? So, well, I mean, on a personal level, we love traveling. That's part of the reason we moved to Europe. So I'm looking yeah. forward to actually being able to travel again. Hopefully, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but on a professional level, I mean, right now, Ambos is just at this amazing time because I think we're seeing, you know, we, when we go and speak with physicians that are um, looking up something on Ambos, they'll say, well, I used to use Google and now I use Ambos, right? And for me, that's <laughs> like uh, mind-blowing, right, to say, hey, we can really help people. Um, how do we really use our knowledge base and mm -hmm. content um, and AI search algorithms to help people make decisions, right? And that really is transformative to the company, right? So for me, you know, working on 
a problem like that with the team here, um, you know, gets me up in the morning because it's, it, you can see there's such huge value there for doctors as well as a huge value if we can really make the business work um, around that. Um, it feels like it could not only be a big impact on the world, but also really big, successful business. Um, and, and I got to say, I've been quite lucky to join a, a company with such a great culture um, that's really supportive. And, and um, when you have doctors all around you, there's lots of intelligence in the room, um, but there's also a lot of camaraderie. So that's the other thing I'm looking, looking forward to is building out new teams here um, and bringing them into this culture. Fantastic. If anyone wants to get in touch, what's the best form of contact for each other? Uh, sure. Uh, at uh, email, actually. So it's um, cdj uh, at ambos.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, Perfect. too. LinkedIn. Perfect. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And it's been fantastic hearing your story. So, yeah, it was lovely to meet you, Chad. Lovely thank to meet you, you both. Much. Thank you really? so much for your time. Uh, All right. Ciao. Thank you. Bye.